This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is August 1, and I praise the Lord for this day that he has made. And we are going to rejoice in it and be glad in it. As we're looking at our scripture, I want you to think about the topic, take heart. And if you have your Bible, just go to the scripture of focus which is the gospel according to Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, which reads, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this word. We are beings of mind, body, and spirit. If we want to do something, as long as we have the do it fluid, we can make it happen to completion. No matter what we desire, if our heart isn't all in, that is the end of the road, dead on arrival. When the children were still at home, they're all grown now. My oldest daughter would try on clothes and show them to both my husband and me. If she had the clothes on slanted looking and disorganized, we could tell by looking at her that she really didn't like the outfit and her heart wasn't all in. If she had the clothes on and she had the outfit neat and in order, we knew that she liked the outfit. And her heart was glad. We're full of praise. This is a teenager. But don't we do the same in our life in many areas? We are not all in on many things. And it shows up starting with our heart. In psychology, I pulled from professional journals of thought to help answer this area. And there's a perspective on this. That is, when we are willing and when we are not willing. There's a, a Gaelic proverb that says, Nothing is easy for the unwilling. And if you are unwilling to face your fears and emotions, then forward progress on improving your quality of life will not be easy. Importantly, People who are willing to feel what they feel without trying to avoid those anxieties, distressors, and fears are much more likely to have successful outcomes. Willingness is a stance that a person can take when they are presented with a difficult emotion. When we're trying to get our highest quality of life, then we should do our best to answer yes, realizing that there will be discomfort that comes along with doing what we care about is psychologically healthy and being willing to accept and embrace the comfort that is critical in a life well lived. Keep in mind this important idea. True change requires not only a willingness to commit to 
new actions, but also the willingness to simply notice your fears without working to get rid of them. There are two sides to willingness, and when they are both in play, your behavior, or I should say our behaviors, is much more flexible and vital. If we're talking about take heart in issues of the family whereby the adult children are estranged from parents, this requires some processes to occur. However, things are changed and we must take heart. That is, the adult must take heart in moving forward with no forces. This involves extensive reading, extensive learning, extensive counseling, extensive consultation, and extensive therapy. Now, it's normal to feel impatient when someone important to you is not yet ready to do something important to you. Anyone who's ever waited for a significant other to be ready for marriage knows this quite well, but steady longer for things to move forward. You know those people that keep you holding on for 10 plus years, and then they, they take up all your youth, and then when 10 plus years come about, then they say, oh, I changed my mind. Well, they changed their mind a long time ago. The problem is that readiness is not necessarily a choice. When one person in a relationship is ready for a new step, the other's lack of readiness can lead to bigger problems. The waiting person might grow more and more resentful. While they're not ready, one feels increasingly pressured. They feel judged or even disliked for not being ready. But readiness per se is a hard fact that must be acknowledged and respected in relationships of all kinds. For the most part, we don't choose whether or when we're ready. Not for marriage, for certain conversations, or even for connection. We can choose whether we work to become ready, but even then, knowing how to get there is not easy. What makes someone ready or not can be a bit mysterious. So what do you do if you're ready, but the other person in the relationship isn't? For parents unwittingly estranged from adult children, the answer will likely be different from someone who's waiting for a family, waiting for a husband, waiting for something spectacular. For anyone who's waiting for anyone to do anything, it may be that the best you can do is to try to stay free of resentment by choosing your own next steps. Resenting the other person is a sign that you feel you have too little power in the relationship. The solution is to take back control of what's within your power. And if we're tempted to push ahead when another is hesitating for the best results, don't. Unless both people are ready 
any gains are likely to just be temporary. Lastly, let's try not to let readiness be a com comment on the worth or goodness of either person. Being ready results from an alignment, uh, I should say, yeah, alignment of a complex self of variables, most of which have nothing to do with caring or appreciation. To preserve a good relationship or build a better one, respect the process of getting too ready and never push yourself or anyone else forward. As for the text, Jesus is telling us he, that he turned and saw the woman. That is the scripture of focus. He turned and saw the woman. When was the last time you felt Jesus' presence on you? Scripture says that he is there. When we are evolving into greatness, we can't see greatness right before us. We just have to trust and believe as we're moving onward, not looking at the current disposition and the current situation. This is Jesus's business. Number two, from the scripture of focus, Jesus tells her, the woman, take heart. In our language for today, that is, I see you, girl. You've got this. Go on, girl, you're doing the thing. In fact, the phrase, if you take heart from something, you are encouraged and made to feel optimistic by it. According to psychologists, when you take heart, you're more able to deal with all types of challenges, all types of advantages of opportunities with confidence and grit. Additionally, it takes heart to live in, live with, and live beyond times that are really hard. Our personal hard time might be bad news about our health, the death of a parent, or betrayal by others. Or it could be related to changes in our country and our world, and your concerns about their effects on others and yourself. There is so many take hard examples of honorable people facing great difficulty with dignity, with principle, and with courage. But they did it. And we can too. When we take heart, we stay centered on our foundation for balance. We're not tossed to and fro with the wind. We're anchored in the triune God. Scripture tells us then we will no longer be like children tossed around here and there upon ocean waves, picked up by every gust of religious teaching spoken by liars or swindlers or deceivers. In other words, stop falling for the okie doke. In pessimism, many are failing themselves. Speak life and not speak death. Speak victory instead of speaking failure. Speak truth and not speak falsehood. If you don't know, seek. Don't go with what mama and them is saying. What is good? What is God saying to you? Or do you even know?
Stop listening to people who don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. Frankly, that is crab barrel mentality. If you watch crabs in a barrel, you will understand what I'm saying. This is one of the reasons why we must pray the scriptures. When we do this, we are opening up the windows of heaven so that the overflow can be available. We are allowing positive energy to reign in our total being. So be encouraged. Be confident. Cheer up. Perk up. Just know that the scripture will remind you that God is always by our side. The woman in the scripture that we have a focus, her heart was all in. She absolutely 100% trusted. She didn't have trust issues on this. Trust issues, as we know, or don't know, for many that don't know, can derail any opportunity of optimism. It can derail any growth and the ability to evolve. Trust issues can derail any form of progression. It's not, if it's not in your heart, it's not a, it, it has a very low survival rate. I do believe that all things are possible with God. Otherwise, it's dead on arrival if God isn't in it. Number three that we find from this scripture is your faith has healed you. It only tastes the size of a mustard seed. If you want the job, fill out the application. If you don't fill out the application, that's a 100% guaranteed no. You have no idea what God is doing when you fill out that application. And as we look carefully at the story around this scripture, news flash. I have a news flash. The woman said that she was healed and that faith activated Jesus. She could see it. She was operating in it and Jesus granted it. Remember the story and I'm going to give you the, the synopsis overall. A woman was touched. The woman has touched the edge of Jesus's cloak or perhaps the tassels dangling from the corners of it. For 12 years, this woman was suffering with a disease that caused an ongoing discharge of blood that may have been menstrual in nature. She had exhausted all of her resources trying to get help from doctors, but the symptoms only got worse. When she heard about it, Jesus miraculously healed so many people. She planned to touch his garment. She believed that would heal her. And as for the accounts in the Gospels on this story, let's see. Matthew condenses the story while Mark and Luke added details. Jesus asked who touched him. Peter is confused by the question and points out that Jesus is surrounded by people who are pushing in on him, who isn't touching him. Who isn't touching him, I should ask you. Who wasn't touching him? Jesus clarifies his question. Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And we can reference that to the gospel according to Luke chapter 8 verse 46. Furthermore, the woman realizes that she will be found out 
and decides to just come on forward, trembling. She falls down before Jesus and describes what she has done and why. She finishes by saying that she has been healed. Jesus tells the woman her faith has made her well. He is not saying that her faith by its own power has made her well. The power to heal her came out of him. He felt it. Her faith, though compelling her to turn to Jesus for help, to believe that touching his cloak could heal her. Then his power proved that her faith in him was right. Her faith healed her in the same way that swallowing medicine heals a disease. Neither the person nor the power is responsible. All they can do is assess the power of someone or something else. On the real of things, faith is an expression of hope for something better, more than a wish. It is closer than a belief, but not quite. A belief is rooted in the mind. Faith is based in the heart. Let me say it again. A belief is rooted in your mind. Faith is based in the heart. Let me let you marinate on that for a minute. We act in faith when there is no guarantee, no certainty. No one knows what kind of life an infant will have, yet people continue to have children. No one can know how life with their mates will turn out, yet they continue to have faith in their relationship will last a lifetime. Faith speaks the language of the heart. It is an expression of hope that goes beyond the conscious mind. All that we hold precious rests upon a faith in people. Their potential not yet fulfilled. The evidence of history points us in a different direction. The world is full of ugliness, brutality, and injustices. Yet there is also tenderness, there's kindness, and there's concern. And that takes the bigger part of our hearts. Without faith in ourselves, we would hold ourselves cheap. And without faith in others, we could never live as free people. Here are famous here is a famous parable. Once a traveler came across an old woman who was stooped over what appeared to be thin sticks. He asked the woman what she was doing. She says, I am planting orange trees. She explained. The traveler thought this was a waste of her time. Why do you bother? he asked her. You are an old woman. These saplings will take years before they would be old enough to bear fruit. You will be long gone by then. True enough, she answered. But I don't plant these trees for myself, but for those who will come after me. Just as those before me planted the trees that bear the fruit that I eat today. Hmm. One phenomenal thing about faith. I asked the question, 
How does the body respond to faith? As much, after much, much research, I discovered the following. If religious faith could be packed, packaged in a pill, the stock price of drug companies would soar. Religion, not merely spiritual, spirituality, is a profound predictor of health. Spiritual practices can reduce blood pressure, strengthen the immune system, and help um, stop off some effects of mental illness about as well as many drugs on the market. In fact, the lack of religious being religious is about as unhealthy as 40 years of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. If you care about your health, you might want to start going to church and praying regularly, building your faith. Faith encourages healthy behavior. It impacts the effect of behavioral changes due to religion, literally reducing your chances of dying. Religion, uh, faith, I should say, faith reduces stress. Stress has a very direct negative effect on the immune system. Stress reduces the ability of cells to attack disease inside the body. Studies have shown that religion reduces stress in a number of ways. Prayer, in particular, can reduce high blood pressure. Sometimes you just need to go ahead and pray. That is due to stress. The anxieties and stresses of modern life tends to encourage the body's fight or flight response. Prayer, worship, and other spiritual activities can balance out this stress response by enhancing the body's relaxation response. In addition, people who are religious tend to think in ways that are healthy. Faith gives people a sense of meaning and a purpose in life, which is linked to better health. The brain controls every aspect of your body. So, how we think affects how our body works. In a similar way, religious people tend to be affected less by depression. Now, of course, real faith-filled Christians still suffer from depression and other forms of mental illness. But while faith is certainly no cure for any mental illness, it does seem to offer an additional buffer against its its worst effects. Faith gives community and improves emotional health. Faith makes you healthier, By providing you with a community more willing to help you when life is difficult. Faith gives spaces for the miraculous. Some have suggested that miraculous healings are actually a sign of placebo effect. That's one of those scientific words in which Christian belief motivates the body to faster healing. And it's true. Many studies have shown a positive correlation between optimistic outlook and effective recovery. But whether though through placebo effect, divine intervention, 
or perhaps some combination, we do not entirely understand the true remains. There are health benefits to believing that God has control over your health. There are health benefits to believing that God has control over your health. Another study found the same effects from informal social interactions with church friends, but not other friendships. Hmm. Uh, another study among older adults in Iowa found that frequent church attenders were 68% less likely to die over a 12-year period. The bonds we form as church followers provide us with more than just a social calendar. They are a vital web that sustains our faith through rich relationships that improve both psychological and emotional well-being. Faith opens up avenues to helping others improve life satisfaction. Faith makes you healthier by providing you a community more willing to help you when life is difficult, Christians create the world's first hospitals, and professional health care has long been essential to missions and ministry to the poor. But if you don't find yourself seated among nurses and doctors in the pew, never fear. Faith's greatest health benefit comes to those who help. People who tithe or give away 10% of their income are on average 10% points more likely to be very happy with their lives, according to um, a sociologist um, in Iowa. One study sought to determine which of two different methods would be better help who people with people who suffer from multiple sclerosis. But they found that MS sufferers who were providing help, not just receiving it, were actually the ones to benefit the most, since religious people are more likely to give money to charity and to volunteer. They are also more likely to experience the health benefits of helping others. That is something to think about. Now, on with, with the scripture, it tells us in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Now that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but the faith in Jesus Christ, so we, too, have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because... By the works of the law, no one will be justified. We can't keep doing the same, wanting a different outcome. Paul Im immediately eliminates one path to being justified or declared righteous by God. The works of the law won't work, period. Nobody can be justified that way. The only way to for anyone to be justified before God is faith, belief in Jesus Christ. Earlier in this letter, 
Paul went so far as to point out that those who claim additional requirements are needed for salvation are not themselves saved believers. They are false brothers. They, there is no other gospel and whatever is not true is false. Paul began his letter by de describing Jesus as the one who gave himself for our sins. In other words, he died to fully pay the penalty for all of our sins that makes us unrighteous, unjustified before God. Now, the only way to be justified is to believe in the Jesus who did that for us. So let your faith turn Jesus to us. And that's what I'm telling everyone today. Let your faith, like the woman, turn Jesus to us. Let's be like the woman who spoke up on her faith. She was confident. She was assured and she was optimistic. Now he did address, he dressed her in a kind and tender manner, calling her daughter and a fallible, courteous way of speaking that was used by Jewish doctors when speaking to women, which showed his affection and bespoke his regulation and biding her type and bidding her to take heart and be of good cheer since he meant not to blame her for what she had done. And we always want to blame people, but Jesus didn't blame her for what, what had happened, but to commend her faith in him, whereby she had received a cure, meaning not that there was such virtue in her faith as to, to effect such a cure, but that he, the object of her faith, had performed it for her, and the woman was made whole from that hour. Her disease immediately left her, and from that time forward was no more trouble with it. The cure was so effectual and so perfect that the disorder never, ever returned. So whatever we are encountering, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. So we should open the door in faith, being like the woman in faith. Don't wait until we get we can't see to get faith. Let me say that again. Don't wait until you can see. You sh don't wait until you can actually see to get faith. Have faith while you're in the fish tank of waters and you can't really see. We should never ever say we're having a bad day. Jesus has this too. Let's have let's have Jesus say on these days your faith has healed you. When you have a situation, pray the scriptures as your faith building template, letting us know how that how we keep ourselves spiritually regulated. And with this, Jesus reminds us now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Also, and with our faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And we must remember, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And remember, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Because in the very beginning, before there was an us, he was there. And he overcame hell, taking back the keys, rose with all power in his hands. All we go through can be just changed with a twinkling of the eye. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Yes, faith is believing in God and trusting in his plan, even when we don't understand it and can't see it. As it applies to our life, however... Faith is about more than just a feeling. It's about living it. We live our faith through obedience to God and acts of service. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Remember 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we live by faith and not by sight. Save this vital information for another day. But worded to say, look up. When we are willing and we are not willing, step out on faith and make a change. Let me say it again. When we are willing and when we are not willing, we must step out on faith and make a change. Instead, the scripture tells us in James chapter 4 verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In short, this means that when we don't rely on God for our needs, we tend towards envy, competition, and abuse of others. So just remember that. When we don't rely on God for our needs, we become envious, competitive, and abusive to others. And lastly, God wants his children to willingly live in dependence, in, in dependence on him. The right approach includes weighing God's will before we make the plans, then relying on him to be in control of the results. He wants us to trust him, to allow him to direct our course. He wants to commit our, he wants us to commit ourselves first and above all to accomplish his will not our own. The mature Christian keeps a constant dependence on the will of God for his life. He understands that God's providence upsets all of our schemes and throws us into confusion. He knows God always has the last word. So when life throws things at us and we're, and we're feeling some kind of way, Remember this sermon. Yesterday, on a personal note, 
I was and still am going through something. But the triune God has this and I am just like you will take heart. Just like the woman taking heart. It, if it, it is possible that we don't know how to embrace the new. We want to, we want to, but we just don't know how to move forward. Jesus says to just stop. Jesus says to just come to him and rely on him. The word is full of passages of hope. Go to your prayer closet and st- and listen. Stop relying on your infinite self and trust the triune God. Pack it up, sell it, store it, and move forward. The exodus opens up but can't keep waiting. Go on through. It's not going to look right to us on this side, but we'll understand it better by and by. So the next time you find yourself on faith or doubt way, be like the woman who fought her way to Jesus in faith and let our active faith have Jesus looking and responding to us. And it is finished. As he says, not only does he take away man's sins, but now he removes it as far as the east is to the west. For it is finished. It is done. It is signed. It is sealed because the blood of Jesus. None but Jesus can say it is finished. Have a blessed and beautiful day in the Lord. Remember that it is finished. God has said his word. And love yourselves, love others, and be blessed. Selah.